The Golden Sayings of Epictetus by Epictetus. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Golden Sayings of Epictetus by Epictetus. Translated by Hastings Crosley. 168. If you are told that such a one speaks ill of you, Make no defense against what was said, but answer, He surely knew not my other faults, else he would not have mentioned these only. 169. When you visit any of those in power, bethink yourself that you will not find him in, that you may not be admitted, that the door may be shut in your face, that he may not concern himself about you. If with all this it is your duty to go, bear what happens, and never say to yourself, it was not worth the trouble, for that would smack of the foolish and unlearned who suffer outward things to touch them. 170. In company, avoid frequent and undue talk about your own actions and dangers. However pleasant it may be to you to enlarge upon the risks you have run, others may not find such pleasure in listening to your adventures. Avoid provoking laughter also. It is a habit from which one easily slides into the ways of the foolish and apt to diminish the respect which your neighbors feel for you. To border on coarse talk is also dangerous. On such occasions, if a convenient opportunity offer, rebuke the speaker, if not, at least by relapsing into silence, coloring and looking annoyed, show that you are displeased with the subject. 171. When you have decided that a thing ought to be done, and are doing it, never shun being seen doing it even though the multitude should be likely to judge the matter amiss. For if you are not acting rightly, shun the act itself. If rightly, however, why fear misplaced censure? 172. It stamps a man of mean capacity to spend much time on the things of the body, as to be long over bodily exercises, long over eating, long over drinking, long over other bodily functions. Rather should these things take the second place, while all your care is directed to the understanding. 173. Everything has two handles, one by which it may be born, the other by which it may not. If your brother sin against you, lay not hold of it by the handle of injustice, for by that it may not be born, but rather by this, that he is your brother, the comrade of your youth, and thus you will lay hold on it so that it may be born. 174. Never call yourself a philosopher nor talk much among the unlearned about principles, but do that which follows from them. Thus at a banquet, do not discuss how people ought to eat, but eat as you ought. Remember that Socrates thus entirely avoided ostentation. Men would come to him desiring to be recommended to philosophers, and he would conduct them thither himself. So well did he bear being overlooked. Accordingly, if any talk concerning principles should arise among the unlearned, be you for the most part silent, for you run great risk of spewing up what you have ill digested. And when a man tells you that you know nothing, and you are not nettled at it, then you may be sure that you have begun the work. 175. When you have brought yourself to supply the needs of the body at small cost, do not pique yourself on that, nor if you drink only water, Keep saying on each occasion, I drink water. 
and if you ever want to practice endurance and toll, do so unto yourself and not unto others. Do not embrace statues. Aphorism 176 When a man prides himself on being able to understand and interpret the writings of Chrysippus, say to yourself, if Chrysippus had not written obscurely, this fellow would have had nothing to be proud of. But what is it that I desire? To understand nature and to follow her. Accordingly, I ask who is the interpreter. On hearing that it is Chrysippus, I go to him. But it seems I do not understand what he wrote. So I seek one to interpret that. So far there is nothing to pride myself on. But when I have found my interpreter, what remains is to put into practice his instructions. This itself is the only thing to be proud of. But if I admire the interpretation and that alone, what else have I turned out but a mere commentator instead of a lover of wisdom? Except, indeed, that I happen to be interpreting Chrysippus instead of Homer. So when anyone says to me, Prithee, read me Chrysippus, I am more inclined to blush when I cannot show my deeds to be in harmony and accordance with his sayings. Aphorism 177 At feasts, remember that you are entertaining two guests, body and soul. What you give to the body, you presently lose. What you give to the soul, you keep forever. Aphorism 178 At meals, see to it that those who serve be not more in number than those who are served. It is absurd for a crowd of persons to be dancing attendance on half a dozen chairs. Aphorism 179 It is best to share with your attendants what is going forward, both in the labor of preparation and in the enjoyment of the feast itself. If such a thing be difficult at the time, recollect that you who are not weary are being served by those who are, you who are eating and drinking by those who do neither, you who are talking by those who are silent, you who are at ease by those who are under constraint. Thus, no sudden wrath will betray you into unreasonable conduct, nor will you behave harshly by irritating another. Aphorism 180 When Xanthippe was chiding Socrates for making scanty preparation for entertaining his friends, he answered, If they are friends of ours, they will not care for that. If they are not, we shall care nothing for them. Aphorism 181 Asked who is the rich man, Epictetus replied, He who is content. Aphorism 182 Favorinus tells us how Epictetus would also say that there were two faults far graver and fouler than any others, inability to bear and inability to forbear. When we neither patiently bear the blows that must be borne, nor abstain from the things and the pleasures we ought to abstain from. So, he went on, if a man will only have these two words at heart and heed them carefully by ruling and watching over himself, he will, for the most part, fall into no sin, and his life will be tranquil and serene. He meant the words, bear and forbear. Aphorism 183 On all occasions, these thoughts should be at hand. 
Lead me, O God, and thou, O destiny. Be what it may, the goal appointed me. Bravely I'll follow. Nay, and if I would not, I'd prove a coward, yet must follow still. Again, who to necessity doth bow aright is learned in wisdom and the things of God. Once more, Crito, if this be God's will, so let it be, as for me, Anitus and Melitus can indeed put me to death, but injure me never. Aphorism 184 We shall then be like Socrates, when we can indict hymns of praise to the gods in prison. Aphorism 185 It is hard to combine and unite these two qualities, the carefulness of one who is affected by circumstances and the intrepidity of one who heeds them not. But it is not impossible, else were happiness also impossible. We should act as we do in seafaring. What can I do? Choose the master, the crew, the day, the opportunity. Then comes a sudden storm. What matters it to me? My part has been fully done. The matter is in the hands of another, the master of the ship. The ship is foundering. What then have I to do? I do the only thing that remains to me, to be drowned without fear, without a cry, without upbraiding God, but knowing that what has been born must likewise perish. For I am not eternity, but a human being, a part of the whole, as an hour is part of the day. I must come like the hour, and like the hour must pass. Aphorism 186 And now we are sending you to Rome to spy out the land. But none send a coward as such a spy that, if he hears but a noise and sees a shadow anywhere, loses his wits and comes flying to say, The enemy are upon us. So if you go now and come and tell us, everything at Rome is terrible, death is terrible, exile is terrible, slander is terrible, want is terrible, fly, comrades, the enemy are upon us. We shall reply, get you gone and prophesy to yourself. We have but erred in sending such a spy as you. Diogenes, who was sent as a spy long before you, brought us back another report than this. He says that death is no evil, for it need not even bring shame with it. He says that fame is but the empty noise of madmen. And what report did this spy bring us of pain, what of pleasure, what of want? That to be clothed in sackcloth is better than any purple robe, that sleeping on the bare ground is the softest couch. And in proof of each assertion, he points to his own courage, constancy, and freedom, to his own healthy and muscular frame. There is no enemy near, he cries. All is perfect peace. Aphorism 187 If a man has this peace, not the peace proclaimed by Caesar, how indeed should he have it to proclaim? Nay, but the peace proclaimed by God through reason, will not that suffice him when alone, when he beholds and reflects? Now can no evil happen unto me. For me there is no robber, for me no earthquake. All things are full of peace, full of tranquility. 
Neither highway, nor city, nor gathering of men, neither neighbor nor comrade can do me hurt. Another supplies my food, whose care it is, another my raiment. Another hath given me perceptions of sense and primary conceptions. And when he supplies my necessities no more, it is that he is sounding the retreat, that he hath opened the door, and is saying to thee, Come, whither? To naught that thou needest fear, but to thy friendly kindred elements whence thou didst spring. Whatsoever of fire is in thee, unto fire shall return. Whatsoever of earth, unto earth, of spirit, unto spirit, of water, unto water. There is no Hades, no fabled river of sighs, of lamentation, or of fire. But all things are full of being spiritual and divine. With thoughts like these, beholding the sun, moon, and stars, enjoying earth and sea, a man is neither helpless nor alone. Aphorism 188 What wouldst thou be found doing when overtaken by death? If I might choose, I would be found doing some deed of true humanity, of wide import, beneficent and noble. But if I may not be found engaged in aught so lofty, let me hope for at least this, what none may hinder and what is surely in my power, that I may be found raising up in myself that which had fallen, learning to deal more wisely with the things of sense, working out my own tranquility, and thus rendering that which is its due to every relation of life. If death surprise me thus employed, it is enough if I can stretch forth my hands to God and say, The faculties which I received at thy hands for apprehending this thine administration I have not neglected. As far as in me lay, I have done thee no dishonor. Behold how I have used the senses, the primary conceptions which thou gavest me. Have I ever laid anything to thy charge? Have I ever murmured at aught that came to pass, or wished it otherwise? Have I in anything transgressed the relations of life? For that thou didst beget me, I thank thee for that thou hast given. For the time during which I have used the things that were thine, it suffices me. Take them back, and place them wherever thou wilt. They were all thine, and thou gavest them me. If a man depart thus minded, is it not enough? What life is fairer and more noble? What end happier than his?'